Hello, humans. Coming up with a creative introduction for this episode is getting in the way of releasing it. And so I'm just going to do something very simple and get the conversation out because that's <laughs> that's what this is actually about. And I need to get over myself sometimes. What I can say is it's easy to feel like you can't make a difference. I remember moving to the Tenderloin in San Francisco, California, which is skid row. It's full of a lot of homelessness and mental illness and drug addiction. And I remember showing up very optimistic that I could be a force for good and I could make an extra sandwich and give it to the give it to one of the guys on the corner on my way out and you know buy them coffees and sit down and talk to them like humans. And over time my hope that I could do something meaningful faded because the the systematic homelessness in San Francisco if you've never been is unreal and the suffering the human suffering is really front and center and i think it's easy to be so overwhelmed by some of the challenges that we collectively face and to feel like that we can't make a difference i know i feel like that often today's guest is jamie torkowski sorry jamie if i'm not pronouncing that correct he's the founder of a nonprofit called to write love on her arms which i'll let him describe himself but the story starts with a guy meeting a woman who can't get into a treatment center for her drug problem because she has fresh cuts on her arms. And that's, that's where the story ends for a lot of us, where we feel like we have our hands full with our own problems. And it, it ends as it just being a sad story or a cautionary tale. But what makes Jamie special and what makes him an inspiration to me is this is where the story starts for him, where he feels like he can tell her story, he can have t-shirts printed, and he can figure out a way to raise the money to get her into treatment. And that's what happened. And that's the start of this this organization to write love on her arms. He's also written a New York Times bestselling book called If You Feel Too Much, which is a title I wish I had come up with. <laughs> and he's just an all-around great guy. Here is my conversation with Jamie Torkowski. It trips me out because I looked up to him and like admired what he wrote about and how. And then now, now he's just gone in this direction that's like not as appealing to me, but it I think it's working well for him. It's like built a big, built a company and has a big team and all that. So that's funny. That's, that's actually going to be some of the stuff I want to talk to you about is about those kind of life decisions. But first, who are you? Are we rolling? We're rolling. (laughs) Nice. Cold, cold start. Um, my name is Jamie. We met yesterday. I live in Florida. I grew up in Florida. I am a son and a brother and a friend to a few people. An uncle is probably my favorite title. I founded an organization called To Write Love on Her Arms, which is a nonprofit that tries to help people dealing with depression, addiction, self-injury, and suicide. Yeah, I'm a surfer. I like music. I like basketball. That's a little bit about me. Yeah, and it's funny how much I feel like how much overlap there is between to write love on her arms and hello humans. Because the second I mentioned you were coming on, everybody's like, 
oh yeah, say hey for me. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, like these people who have been like longtime supporters for this. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, Jamie, cool. Say hey for me. I just thought that was funny. Yeah, that's um, awesome. And then you, a couple of our my mutual our mutual friends contacted you too. Yeah. I love it. Well, and we've been trying to do this for a while, so it, I just happened to come to your town. I know. Yeah, I thought you were gonna. You you, you thought you were gonna be in L.A. for a bit. Yeah, and it just never worked out. But yeah, and, yeah. But I, this is cool. We get to do it sitting together. You you sent me a text message that said like, "Hey, I'm going to this. I don't know where you live in Marin exactly, but I'm going to this small town named Fairfax." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, That's where we are right yeah. now. Um. Okay. So. I um it's funny because when I started Hello Humans, I couldn't find anything like it that was talking about heartbreak and depression and the things I want to talk about. And then someone uh who works for To Write Love on Her Arms grabbed one of my pieces and published it. And at first, you know, a bunch of little blogs sometimes will grab a piece of mine. And I was like, Oh yeah, cool, yeah, you can have it, whatever. And just for whatever reason, I decided to go, I wonder what this is. Yeah. And I looked at it and I was staring at kind of what I wanted to build. It was very messed up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, if I, I feel like if I had known about to write love on our arms before I had started, I don't think I would have started. I don't think wow. I would have had the confidence to start because you guys have done a really great job. Oh man, thank um, you. At doing what you do. Tell us what yeah. In your words, what what is it about? Yeah, so it started back in 2006 just as a simple attempt to help one person. I met a girl who very quickly became a friend, and I ended up writing a story after she was denied entry into a local treatment center. And really the issues that show up in our mission statement today are all the issues that were present in her life back when I met her. And uh, wrote a story that was really honest, kind of an honest take on where she had been and where she was at and uh, a painful story and yet a story that still had hope that she could come to know healing and sobriety and, and redemption and put that story out on MySpace and started selling t-shirts as a way to pay for her treatment. And then everything kind of took on a life of its own. And we just started to hear from so many people that could relate to Renee's story, whether it was in their own life or the life of a loved one people wanting to help, people wanting to help someone they were concerned about, other people just wanting to get involved and saying, wow, I, I need to learn about this. How can I help? And we've been at it ever since. And, uh, you know, it started out just me and this story and box of shirts and a MySpace page. And now there's around 20 of us that are full time and continue to do a lot on the internet, especially through social media. I joke that the MySpace has slowed down, but we've been able to transition into you know facebook and twitter and instagram and all the places that people are and then we do a lot on the road a lot in person as well so nights on college campuses music tours and festivals conferences high schools churches sometimes kind of anywhere where people are like you know these are issues that affect all kinds of people young old people who live in different places believe different things and so we've just seen a lot of cool doors open to to invite people into the conversation. And uh, and then we try to do creative campaigns, which become ways for people to get involved. Some of them are fundraising campaigns, but, but also I think ways for people to be vulnerable and people to share parts of their story and to talk about these things that, you know, a lot of people tend not to talk about. And then over time, we've 
responded to almost a quarter million messages that have come in from a hundred different countries. And we've been able to give more than $2 million to treatment and recovery. So that's a little bit about it. What happened before to write Love in Our Arms that put you at that place at that time to even believe you could help raise money to get yeah renee is her name yeah renee. To, get, to get renee in, into it was like a, a inpatient treatment yeah yeah um no man it's interesting there were looking back there were so many dots that connected to kind of shape me and and then another big part of it is I was renting a room in Orlando from a friend who was in recovery. And so he was really our leader. A lot of people love to kind of make me the hero in the story, but my buddy David was the one who knew recovery and he was the guy making plans and, and kind of our leader. I was more getting to know Renee and listening and moved and, and caring, but uh, it's important to point out my friend who really understood recovery in a way that I did not. Uh, but I grew up a sensitive kid with really compassionate parents, um, felt things deeply, I think. And I grew up with parents that seemed to really care and respond uniquely to needs that they became aware of. So I think that helped shape some of who I was. And then I also grew up like in love with the surf industry and in love with these companies, uh, these surf brands, these big surf clothing companies. And, and I was lucky enough to kind of stick my foot in that door. And from 18 to 22, I worked as an assistant for Quicksilver, the, the clothing brand. And then at 22, I was hired by Hurley to be their sales rep for the state of Florida. Uh, so I kind of was growing up around these clothing brands. And so obviously that planted the seed. Actually, prior to that, my dad uh, sold t-shirts. He still sells t-shirts today. So that's kind of where like the branding and the the t-shirt thing came in. And obviously it, you know, t-shirts are an easy place to start. Like today we do GoFundMe and things like that. But I think everyone who's an adult has bought a shirt for a good cause, right? Or, or bought some clothing item. So I think I I understood t-shirts and it seemed like easy enough to get one done. And so that, I felt like that was a way I could do more than just tell a story, but I could try to rally some people to raise money. And I and, uh, had a friend who was a designer and we stayed up late one night. Just We didn't think we were designing a logo. We just thought we were designing this one t-shirt. And uh, yeah, but it, it's really neat to look at you know, all the dots that connected music was, I just was someone who loved music and music became a big part of the organization's DNA. And in terms of people of influence who started to support us, it, musicians were a big part of that. Yeah. Someone mentioned that they used to see you at like, uh, at the work tour. Yeah. yeah. So as an organization, we were a part of it for, I think it's either nine or 10 summers. And, uh, it was wild for me because that wasn't, my scene like it was a scene that i was aware of and had a lot of respect for but it wasn't personally my world so to be embraced like to see our organization be embraced and to really that had so much to do with our our start like kind of this element of popularity and momentum really grew out of that world kind of that alternative music world and and so many of the bands that supported us were in that scene and they just had Warped Tour just finished its final cross-country tour. And so I actually went to the very last show, which was in Florida. And so it was really special that that 
we got to not only be a part of it, but it became an important part of our, our story and our history. I'm just wondering, I feel like everybody comes across these things that strike a nerve with you that just feel like fucked up. Like you walk past somebody um, who's just down and out. Hmm. What made you think that you could do anything about it? Yeah, I think, you know, this this girl happened to move into the house that I was at for a few days, you know? So there was this element of like, it was literally under my roof. And I think I was just really moved in getting to know her. Like we just just stayed up late five nights in a row and, and I would ask her questions and we would talk and we were trying to keep her safe and we were trying to obviously make it as pleasant and enjoyable as possible for her. Like we knew that it was, that she was in a hard spot. And at, at first I think that it was just the thought of, I was moved by this story that I was experiencing and wondering if good could come from that story being told. But there was no thought of like, I'll start a charity or I'll start a movement. But then I think I was just really, I was, I mean, I, that, that word moved really comes to mind. I just, I wanted to do something. I wanted to do more than tell a story that people might say was well-written. Like I, I wanted to make a, a difference in a real way. And, uh, and again, that's where the t-shirt thing just seemed like a practical, like, all right, I can order a hundred t-shirts. My buddy, who's a good designer, we, we can come up with something cool. And maybe over a few weeks or a couple months, we can sell a hundred of these t-shirts, but obviously couldn't have imagined how it would all go. How did it all go? It just grew and grew, you know, after a few weeks, we were hearing from people in other states. Like I remember at first, uh, any anyone we heard of who didn't live in Orlando or didn't live in Florida, like that felt pretty special, you know, that, that people in other places were finding it. And a lot of that was because of bands that were starting to support us and they were starting to wear these shirts on tour and then it started to spread through MySpace. And then after a few weeks, we were hearing from people in other countries and it was just like, whoa, something something is happening here. I remember we we had a booth at a local music festival in Orlando and I remember, I remember it felt sort of odd. Like I was like, man, is it, is it weird? Like this thing's not even a charity. Is it weird to have a booth when we're just trying to help our friend? But the booth was gifted to me. And I think I, I did some quick math that it, I think 10% of the people at the festival ended up buying one of our shirts. And so it just, this momentum just kept going where it was like, whoa, something, something is happening. Like people keep caring and people keep sharing and wanting to get involved. And, and I ended up, you know, quitting a job that I thought I would do for as long as they would have me, you know, I thought I would work for Hurley for 20 years, but this thing just felt too special to walk away from. Do you comprehend how many people that to write love on her arms has affected? Is that something that you can even absorb or are you still a little detached from it? No, I, I actually think in a healthy way, I can't. So somebody said something to me early on, early days, 2006, and he just said, hey, no matter how big this thing, no matter how big this thing gets, it will be made up of individuals. And so like today, I don't even know the exact number, but I think there's like 1.5 million likes on our Facebook page. And I don't really know how to make sense of that number. And obviously those numbers, are, that number represents different stories, different levels of engagement, but it, it feels really healthy to come back to the individual. And so I am aware that I keep meeting people who 
tell me how it has impacted their life or how it led to them seeing a counselor or getting professional help or even choosing to stay alive. I meet people with our logo tattooed on their body or you know something that I wrote in a blog that they have tattooed. And all of that, I think, just reminds me that this thing is so much bigger than me. Excuse me so much bigger than our team. Uh, so I'm thankful, but I think it, in like a healthy human way, I, maybe I'm not supposed to fully grasp like, what is that total number? And like it, but I, I love getting to encounter the individual stories, if that makes sense. I guess you probably get this question a lot, but since people are going to hear this who have never heard of you before, what do you tell people when they know someone or they are the person severely struggling? We had one of our collaborators who has written pieces, one of our contributors on the website who's written pieces for us, try to get into inpatient this year. She wrote a piece about it and she, she wasn't willing to say, I am suicidal, which are kind of the magic words, you know, to get in to, to inpatient. And so they would not take her, but she was in really troubling place, you know, it was like all but suicidal. What do you tell people when they're up against a machine that, you know, if you, I know with Kaiser for myself to get uh, a therapist and a psychiatrist, I had to call a voicemail. I don't know how many times. Mm. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I had to call a voicemail. Nobody called me back. I had email. And uh, finally, I guess I sounded desperate enough yeah. that they did something about it. Yeah. Man, I know I know it's easier said than done, but I think we tell people that it's not easy, but it's worth it to ask for help and I think to trust the process of doing your best to see it through. Um, and obviously we've learned that so many people don't even get to that point of being willing to put a hand up and and say, hey, I, I need to talk to someone, I need to get some help, I need to get some professional help. And then I think the next step is really what you're pointing to in terms of how challenging and confusing it can be for so many people, especially people that are really struggling. Uh, one thing that we've added in, in just the last few months to our website is a tool where people can enter their zip code and they'll almost instantly get a list of local resources and especially free and reduced rate resources. So it's cool for people for whom finances are a big hurdle, which obviously is a lot of people. Uh, it's awesome to be able to do more than encourage them, but to actually give people a practical list of, of uh, support groups and counseling offices and treatment centers. But I think we, we'd love to just tell people that it's worth it. Like it's worth it to get the help that you need and to encourage people to have a support system, you know, to hope that people are connected to a community that will help see them through that process and will help remind them, Hey, you're, you're worth it. Like however long this takes, whatever this costs, however hard this is, like your life is too valuable for us to give up or for me to let you walk through it alone. Uh, so I think those are a couple of things that come to mind for me. I have, severe depression and it just some days feel like so unfair you know because i like can't get out of bed i like almost can't get out of bed i do find a way but you're literally it literally feels like you're operating at half speed yeah and um 
I, you know, just for full disclosure, I'm unmedicated at the moment. And I think part of that decision was because I'm self-employed. You know, I, I have health insurance. I can get medication at a pretty good price, but I don't know I'll be able to afford it. Mm. You know, without insurance, the medication is something like $300. Yeah. And it's not something you can just go cold turkey off of. Yeah. It took a while. It took a couple months before I really felt like semi back to off medication normal. And so I have this like prepper fear that the medication works. That's the mm. crazy thing is it like it actually works, actually helps my depression. But I have this fear that, oh my God, I won't be able to afford it one day. Yeah. And I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. Yeah. You know, because that, that's like one of the side effects. Yeah. You just go cold turkey. So, I mean, I don't know. You you have depression. Yeah. I've been, yeah. there's some, I've taken an antidepressant for seven or eight years now. For me, it started with going to counseling and then talking to a psychiatrist about it. Uh, but I had a hunch that it was a step I needed to take. And I actually had a good friend who is a counselor. He wasn't my counselor, or he's not, but someone whose opinion I really respected and who knew a lot more than I did. And I remember just sharing that thought, like, hey, I think I, I, th I think this advice I give everyone else, I think it actually applies to me. <laughs> and he was really encouraging, you know? And, and, and so it's interesting where I had gotten comfortable sort of telling everyone else it was okay, but I hadn't yet taken that step in my own life. And now it's become something I'm really thankful for, like where it's really, as you said, it, it has worked and it has become a tool that I think has really added stability for me. You don't, you don't feel the stigma of it? I think it's, I think it's become pretty normal for me. Like I've gotten pretty comfortable just it's just a part of my life like i like literally you know bedtime it's like i brush my teeth and i take this antidepressant and i feel about the same about both like it's just what i do every night and uh and i'm also not you know some people are have concerns about how long will i be on this and and so i don't know the future of it for me like i don't know how long i'll be on and i don't i don't think about it a ton um for me, and we talked about this yesterday, but like it's my depression has always been tied to heartache and breakups, and that's kind of my biggest trigger or source of pain, you know. Yeah. And that's that's not that's pretty much what every song is about. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah, I mentioned yesterday, heartbreak is the, the only thing that has brought me to suicidal thoughts. Mm. Like the only thing I can. I was in a nasty custody battle. I was facing some legal trouble because of the drugs. I mean, I, you know, found out I was having a kid at 19. Like that was pretty crazy. But like, there's something so devastating about anything related to the heart. Are you dating? No, no. <laughs> I've been, and I was, I was kind of going in that direction. I've, I've been single for about three years and, uh, and so, you know, there's like loneliness and longing, but I've been away from, heartache and I've been away from a breakup. Uh, so yeah, so I think I'm aware that as much as it's challenging to be single and to wish you weren't and, and, uh, to kind of wrestle with wanting life to look different, uh, I'm at least aware and I guess thankful to, to not be in that really dark place of, of going through a breakup. Uh, because for me, that's been the hardest. I think clearly you said for you as well. You, are you like a serial dater normally? 
Uh, I mean, I think I'm always curious. I, where I live is a, a pretty sleepy beach town in Florida where I grew up, so I don't meet a lot of people there. It's like me and the old old folks who love Trump. <laughs> so I'm not going on lots of dates at home, but I, I think I'm always looking and hopeful. Uh, but I've only had, I haven't, there's definitely like long periods where I don't have a girlfriend and then I kind of like dive in. And then if it, if it's the track record is like, and then it's really hard to transition out of the end of that relationship. Yeah. I have always, I feel like I am like, quote unquote, I'm air quoting meant to be in a relationship. Like I'm not a lone wolf. Yeah. You know, like I'm just not, I love partnerships so much. And I've been in a relationship something like eight out of the past 11 years. Yeah. But this time is so rad. This is the first time I've been single and not wanted to have something. Yeah. Like there's a part of me that so wants something. Mm. But I just, I don't want to get to that devastating point again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. The last relationship was very passionate, but it was only a year plus. So I've had like two end of the world devastations, one worse than the other, but two end of the world devastations sandwiching <laughs> like a year and a half. Yeah. You know, like my poor family and support group. I mean, I called my best friend Reese this time around and he basically just like went through his old, he just pulled out the old checklist, you know, at this point. Yeah. It's hard, man. Have you been, do you feel open to dating? Even yeah, though? Yeah, yeah, totally. I definitely do. Um, I mean, I joke, I've, I've felt, I think like out of my friends growing up, everyone would have placed bets that I'd be the first one married you know i was just like always the guy that loved love and i'm actually thankful that in spite of breakups and heartache and things that haven't worked out that like i still believe in it that i'm not totally jaded and cynical and uh i still look forward to sharing my life in that way so yeah i I still feel really open okay (laughs) It, (laughs) it comes back so i have a question that i struggle with when it comes to hello humans um, and it might be muddier because we have we're not a, a licensed nonprofit, which might be a route to go. I don't know, but is how to balance wanting to take care of yourself financially with still doing what you consider like good work, like work that is good, yeah, or that has like some kind of a good purpose. And this is a theme I've talked to several guests about who are doing really great work, and they all struggle to like monetize yeah yeah because you know like um i i don't think i'm going to name names because i don't think i asked if i could yeah talk about it but somebody i just said hey do you struggle with like asking for money or getting yourself paid and the guy said that's been my whole life struggle wow you know and he's changed i don't know how many lives yeah but like how do you balance that out no i mean well it's it's also interesting because um, my, my answer has changed, uh, like even in the last year and a half where I'm technically not an employee, I'm still involved, but now as technically an independent contractor, that's kind of a separate thing, but we've been fortunate as an organization where we've never had to do layoffs due to finances. And, you know, we're almost 13 years in. And so I'm aware how rare that is. And and that's something we're really thankful for, but I think I've been thankful that I've been put in a position for over a decade to do work that I really believe in and to be 
taken care of. When I was, you know, the CEO or executive d- director, you know, technically we have a board that that helps set our pay. So that was sort of how the machine would function in terms of it wasn't just me deciding what was fair or what I needed, but it felt healthy to have these people that I was accountable to. And now I'm still on that board and and there are other people that make up our leadership. Uh, And then it's interesting because I'm independent. Now I'm thinking more about finances because I'm on my own in a way. And there's a part of me that really misses the security of like, Hey, you're going to get paid a salary. It's enough to live on. And so you can just focus on doing great work. Like you can have a schedule you believe in. You can tell the stories you want to tell. And there's a part of me that misses kind of the purity or like the simplicity of that. And because I gave up, you know, a big part of my salary to kind of have this independence, it's been interesting where uh, I think I, I thought that freedom would mean doing more work that I believe in or doing exactly what I want. But as I think you kind of alluded to, you also end up trying to figure out like, how do I do this? How do I pay the bills? How do I pay my taxes? Like all these questions that come with sort of independence. So I don't know if that helps a little bit. I miss having a salary so much. I felt like it was easier to to feel well yeah. with a salary in a way because it's just like this one thing that was off the table. Yeah. And so people uh, ask me often and anyone listening is allowed to ask me like, hey, yeah, I'd like to start a podcast or I'd like to start a blog or I'd like to start a YouTube channel. Like, do you have experience or do you, can you like show me what you know? Yeah. Because I've made enough mistakes to at least like be like, here's the starter kit. And it's hard. Like, I want to tell people like, yeah, go for it, go for it. But it's also like, how do I send hope when I'm so hopeless? Oh, sure. Often I, Another creator reached out to me, and uh, I've been meaning to be on his program for a while. It just hasn't worked out. And he said, oh, hey, man, I just want to thank you for you know the last, the last little episode. Uh, or I just want to thank you for the last episode. It really gave me hope. And I said, man, that's funny because I feel so hopeless yeah. as you're texting me right now. How, how are you getting through it all? Because your bills aren't paid no matter what right just, now right well i i gave up half my salary yeah kind of in this transition um so i'm i'm okay financially but i think it is interesting when it's interesting to think about how how it looks from the outside right because that's kind of you this other person shared their perspective with you you know and i'm sure my life looks that way too where people just assume it's like looks pretty awesome. And, you know, we all have Instagram where we kind of turn it into our highlight reel and like, these are the best moments and the coolest moments. Um, so I think it is, it's interesting when it's also like, like what you said, when we're in the midst of struggle or, or facing these challenges or these huge questions. And yet somehow in spite of us, other people are being encouraged or finding hope in what we're doing. And so I, I definitely, I relate to that, not even just the financial piece, but kind of like the, am I doing any good? You know, like, is, is anyone listening? Like I'm, I'm sharing these things or posting these things and does it actually matter? And, and so then all of a sudden to encounter someone who says, Hey, I'm really thankful and encouraged for what you put out into the world. Yeah, I've become somebody who who reaches out to people now. And I never did because of the effect that it has on me. Yeah. And I have a folder, actually, 
uh, email folder. Like if people Instagram me something yeah. nice, I make them email it to me. No way. Yeah, because I'm like, I kind of need this on a rainy day. Yeah. Because you forget. Yeah. And you forget. At least I forget. That's like that's been my life's like. Uh, that's like my biggest neuroses is yeah. that I forget the cool shit I've done. I for, I like forget why I get to have a seat at the table, yeah. you know, and all of a sudden I'm some big failure that sure. it's just been wasting his time. And yeah, well, and it's easy to feel like it's never enough. And you know, what's the next thing, right? Like it's, it's so easy to get to not be satisfied and to, to maybe think the grass is greener or just that we haven't done enough and to believe this perception that everyone else is getting it right and doing it right. And, you know, I, there's so many challenges that come with that. What are the best tools you've kind of picked up along the way? You've been doing this 13 years. Yeah. It means dealing with really heavy issues, but meaningful work. And you've had stints of having to think about who you are as well besides the organization what are the best tools you've picked up along the way i think i've had to learn to take our advice like to take the advice that the organization and even me individually has gotten comfortable sharing with everyone else and i I talked a little bit about it earlier but i got comfortable saying it's okay to take medication it's okay to see a counselor and then had to get to a place of realizing i needed those things i needed to take those steps and i think i've also in even in the last couple years realized my list has to be longer than just those things like i i've come to think about self-care which i know is this sort of buzzword um right now but i think thinking about things as simple as you know sleep and hobbies and relationships and i i like to think of self-care sort of as this buffet where like if you and i approach a buffet we probably come away with different things we're excited about but the cool thing is there's this buffet that we get to pull from and have a friend who struggles with depression and he shared something a couple years ago he just said man this this thing sucks like depression just totally sucks and we have to throw every good thing at it and so i think for him he was saying it's medication it's therapy but it's also all these other simple things. It's like making time, you know, for me, it's become my nephews and relationships with family and best friends and giving myself space to be a surfer and a basketball fan. And I guess, you know, you can boil all that down to like, what does it look like to be healthy? Not to just make a profession out of encouraging people to be healthy, but like to actually uh, do my best to take care of myself. Yeah, I, I, self-care is one of those really triggering words for me. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for apologizing. Uh, how dare you? Do you f- mean because it's thrown around so much? I don't like the way it's been commercialized. Yeah. In a way where I think like most, most some of the most important self-care regiments in my life are completely free. Yeah. It's like going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time. You start regulating that. That's a huge start yeah. for anyone out there who's like at ground zero. That's a huge place to start is going to bed, getting decent sleep, waking up at the same yeah. time. Um, exercise. Yeah, exercise, which it doesn't even have to be a gym routine. Sure. It just has to be sweat every yeah. day, which you can you can walk up a hill. Yeah. Um, calling my best friends often because I get in this weird space where I start feeling like disconnected from everyone or like different than everyone, like they don't understand me or that 
I think the worst possible thing that happens to me is I forget how many people care. Like in my mind, I'll literally think for a while that no one cares. Yeah. And so to be in the habit of calling uh, Reese every day, mm. my best friend, uh, or calling someone is, is humongous. But what ends up happening is self-care is like, I don't know. I don't like the way it's, I don't like the way it's been attached to products. Yeah, like the wellness industry. The wellness or industry. And I really don't like the way it's been attached to comfort. Mm. I think if there's one really detrimental thing being, you know, there's a big lie that I think what, I, what I'm doing is at the center of what I'm doing is trying to undo this lie that happiness is as important as sleep, mm. which I fundamentally disagree with. I don't think happy, I think happiness is like, that's like, saying that it should be summer all year round yeah you know like you you need the seasons and you need the change and happiness is is part of the human experience but yeah there there's a group that sells happiness as you can just think your way into being happy and and for somebody with um brain wiring who's not necessarily working the right way or whose brain constantly slips into these really crazy places that's not helpful for me to yeah. be told like, oh, this is what's actually helpful for me is to be told like, yeah, it sucks sometimes, but you just keep going. Yeah. And I go, okay. Like, you know, there are periods where I've gone to the gym and I've eaten well, miserable. Mm. But I know that when I come out of it, I'm going to be really stoked that I did it for myself. Yeah. That but, makes um, sense. What happens with self-care, I went on a huge rant. What happens with self-care is I'll see people like kind of using it as an excuse mm. to not face some of the great challenges I think that are important to face. Self-care doesn't equal comfort to me. Yeah. I think self-care often for me is very uncomfortable. Yeah. It's at the gym pushing slightly harder because I want to be stronger. Yeah. You know? That's something that's interesting to me is to get stronger. That means getting uncomfortable. It means asking that boss who's never going to give you a raise if you don't ask for a raise, even though it's incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. Because th there are there are people out there that will just, if you don't ask for it, they won't give it. Yeah. And so I think self-care is having uncomfortable conversations and do you know uh, doing things that are based on delayed gratification. Yeah. And dumping that motherfucker who doesn't treat you well, you know, yeah. and like leaving a, a job that isn't right for you even though it's it's terrifying mm. or it means the job that you do like pays less like or you know focusing on, on your finances which is one of the things i have to do right now yeah like it's really i i guess i you know i have the the privilege of, of feeling like oh well i'll always be able to figure something out or I'll always be able to you know i could always get a, a job at Ross or anywhere like I'll be okay um but I need to start figuring out how to take care of myself really because this whole month to month thing isn't working out sure like yeah no man I I I appreciate all that it is interesting how like I don't even know if it's a word or a phrase self-care <laughs> hyphenated two words how it's so loaded and like means so many different things to different people i almost wish uh, like there could be some uh, like interchangeable words or you know like it's interesting 
But I love what you said about basically leaving your comfort zone. Yeah. And I love the buffet too. Like I think self-care is surfing for a surfer or yeah. s- or skating or playing harmonica. I think self-care is absolutely a ton of these these things. I just it feels like you you uh, awesome conversation happens. Yeah. Like about taking care of yourself and all of a sudden all the brands move in. Oh like yeah, yeah, yeah. And because they're the ones paying to play, like I see more I talk about self-care, but I see a ton of like bath bomb yeah shit oh you know? sure <laughs> like, candles and candles crystals and yeah it's interesting what do you want to do with your like yeah we have a pretty short time not i mean we have a short time here to talk but we have a short time here on the planet yeah like what do you want to do while you're here we had a funny moment i'm i'm visiting my friend and her four-year-old daughter was in the car this morning and she basically said that <laughs> something came up about heaven or I don't know if it was heaven or dying, but she basically said like, I have a long time. You and Jamie don't have as long. <laughs> it was like so dark and, <laughs> and we were just like cracking up. Uh, I mean, my dream at this point, like the final frontier is to be in love and, you know, I'd love to have a family someday. So in terms of like something I've never done or a dream that's unfulfilled, I think that's, that's it. Like I'm thank I'm thankful for the career things that have happened and the organization and, and the book I got to write. Like there's things I'm proud of and it's not that I'm retiring. Like I still want to contribute more to the world and create and write and try to encourage people. But I think personally the, the dream is pretty simple where it's not, it's not like more influence or more recognition, but uh, kind of that elusive, love story you know uh i'm at i'm definitely at that point where like i see you know little kids and it's just like wow that's the coolest thing in the world you know like to see a baby or a toddler and just super aware of that i also feel that way about dogs so i should probably get a dog dogs are awesome it seems maybe an kids easy, are awesome easier too. place to start on your own i don't know <laughs> i have a terrible dog <laughs> uh so yeah, man, I think I, I wanna I wanna keep encouraging people. Like I wanna keep being honest and being creative and would love to share my life with somebody. Do you wanna write another book? Yeah, for sure. That uh I feel like I've committed to that. Um, even in the last it's weird. I, I tried to commit to it the end of last year and then and just had this like incredibly unstable basically last year I drove from Florida to California and then back to Florida. And so everything was kind of up in the air. Like even now I have a storage unit in LA and I have a storage unit in Florida. And so I I think as I tried to get to this place of like, I'm going to kind of settle down and commit to this, my life was like the furthest thing from settled. And so I'm trying to commit to letting this year be that. And you and I talked about yesterday, like if we're not careful, we can always find an excuse or a distraction. But yeah, you know, I had it was a dream come true to get to write a book and have it actually released and have it go well and be well received, and so I want to do that again. And uh, and yet I've definitely realized like it's it's so much easier and sexier to talk about it, think about it, dream about it, than to like commit to the discipline of writing consistently. I spent most of 
my young life talking about all the stuff I was going to do. I think that was the revolutionary thing of when I got sober is like people actually did stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'd be high with a bunch of guys and we just, we'd just be like talking about like, yeah, I'm going to do this one day. I'm going to start a company one day. Yeah. And you have this idea of one day and once you're doing it, man, things move slower Yeah, and they're harder and, some uh, things don't work and it's a yeah. lot, lots of things don't work but it's amazing to get the opportunity to be doing it like that's i have to remind myself because one of the easiest things to forget is like what a wild ride i'm on even though i'm broke and scared and what are the what are the ways you keep your butt in the chair what are the ways you keep going the either the best wisdom you've got or the best wisdom you give to yourself kind of on a regular basis. Do you have a mantra or do you have things that kind like, of... Like specifically writing related or... Just that kind of keep you on track. Yeah, man. I mean, I think I, I'm wired where I'm really easily distracted, discouraged, like distracted by good things and bad things, you know, like like my own depression and angst or like my own daydreaming or opportunities like that was something you and I talked about yesterday but I think I am even even in the last couple of months like it's been a really busy season but I think coming back to how good it feels to be creating something like to be in the process of doing work that you believe in and uh, obviously I want to do that in a way where I don't burn out and where it feels healthy uh, but I think even in the last couple of months I've just been reminded like man what a privilege to do a job that I believe in when so many other people would dream of that opportunity. And so many people have to go to work and do a job that maybe they flat out hate. So I think just trying to realize the privilege and I, I I'm kind of slowing down cause I'm aware that there are listeners who aren't in that place, you know, who don't, who, who would give anything for that. Maybe the, even the sort of opportunities that we've had, uh, but I think trying, maybe another way to say it is just trying to be grateful and, and trying not to waste the opportunities that I have. And I think when I meet people who remind me what the work has meant to them, the hope is that would be motivating to continue to do the work. Yeah. I know how you feel where you're talking about how you're doing something you love and worried how it would be received by some, you know, like almost like it would be taken personally. Mm. But I think a lot of it is kind of where you're at in that arena. Because I know for me, I don't think you could get something that's closer to, if you told me, hey, money's no object, what would you want to do? I don't think you'd get closer to what I want to do, but I still find myself having the same feelings I had working at a job I hated mm. often. So I feel like, you know, it, it, I feel like if you're really hating what you're doing, uh, well, there's like really messed up bosses though yeah, too. Yeah, sure. I've had a few of those. But if the boss is decent, if the job isn't torturous, um, it's worth taking a look at and doing doing some work around. Because I know for me, it's really easy to feel like this is awful, yeah. things are awful, and... Um, I'm so impressed when I meet someone who seems remotely content, especially if they do a job that's not super creative or it's not necessarily their dream job, but like 
they're able to do it and do it well and have an identity beyond that. And I'm always impressed because I feel like that has been so elusive for me, sort of that like contentment or satisfaction. And uh, I don't know. So I'm, I'm really impressed by, by those folks. Yeah. I don't quite understand it. I think it's, it's alien to me. Cause I have this, like, I almost think of it as like maybe a curse, like the just really ambitious mind. Yeah. You know, like almost a curse because like, I don't know if I could ever be satisfied yeah. with the current thinking that I'm doing. Sure. Are you an Enneagram guy? Uh, the num- That's the yeah, number, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, I'm a four. I'm a four as well. Yeah. And that's kind of how, that's what that translates to is like the tortured, creative, like, you know, it's never enough, woe is me, highs and lows. So, So how do you find that contentment in yourself? Uh, I, I mean, most days I don't, honestly, like, I think I, I feel way more aware of depression and longing and there's sort of this irony, I think, to being someone who's associated with hope and is maybe good or decent at offering that to other people, but struggles, uh, in my own life, you know, personally. So... And that's why you're good at offering it to other people. I think I'm aware of my own need. There's definitely things I've written, even like short things, tweets and Instagram captions that resonated with people where I felt like I was talking to myself, like as someone struggling and someone needing these words to feel true or wishing someone would, would say them to me. Um, and so I think it's rare. I think it, for me, it's more like moments in terms of like, it's spending time with my nephews or a great meal or a great day. Like it, it, it's, it's definitely, I think I dream of maybe feeling that more often or more consistently, but um, I think I try to really lean into the moments where I feel good. Cause there are, there are a lot of moments where I feel kind of the, I feel what's missing or I'm aware of what's missing more than I, should be or more than I wish I was. I think that's one of the gifts of, for me, that's one of the gifts of having depression is like when the good comes around, I'm very absorbent. Yeah. You know, because it's just like, this is so temporary. Yeah. Let's go have some, <laughs> let's go have some fun. Yeah. And so that word you use, contentment, is for me more of a goal than happiness. Mm. Is to, to look at what I'm doing and feel content. Yeah. Look at how I sp- spent the day and feel content, which, you know, if I'm moderately productive, I feel, and, you know, not just productive, but productive in the sense that I was a good dad if I had my son. Yeah. And uh, a good friend, if friends called me, I took the time to take the call or whatever. And also didn't waste a bunch of time, mm. which for me is where a lot of insecurity comes from. Yeah. It's like if I waste a lot of time, it's really critical it's really um dangerous yeah my my own mental health sure i totally forgot what i'm saying it made me think of purpose though i don't know how you feel about that word because it's another loaded word that means different things to different people but i think i find when i'm kind of pursuing a purpose and like doing work or just like going through the motions of living a life that I believe in, like 
that can feel really healthy as well. You know, so I'm not just riding the roller coaster of, am I happy or sad today? But, but there's almost like a healthy distraction in that. Like I'm going to commit to doing these things that are good and that I believe in and allowing that to sort of supersede the, how happy am I today? If that makes sense. I love the word purpose. I think it's like the key to everything. I think like people get this kind of idea about purpose though, that it should be like really, really specific. Yeah. And that if they don't have something really, really specific, then they're like doomed. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's like, I know I want to make content that, you know, when someone walks by and they, they have like a contagious smile, you could be having like the worst day ever and you might catch it for the briefest second, mm. like five seconds, you kind of catch her smile. That's a reprieve. And I like, I like f coming across reprieves. I like coming across material that makes me either laugh or makes me remember some truth about myself or some truth about being here, which can be yeah. very painful at times. Yeah. And I also want to create it too. Mm. You know, when I'm in the mood, when I'm able to create it, I want to help create it. And when, I'm not able to create it. I want to come across it. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know. I got no beef with purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I love the term. I, I worked with a guy who was a guest. He was the first guest on this program, Jonathan Gustin. And he's a family therapist who just decided this is what I'm going to do. Wow. I don't want to talk about, you know, your mommy issues. Yeah. I want to figure out what you're here on the planet to do. Wow. Hello Humans kind of started from that. But it evolves. Yeah. It evolves over time. I um, I think it's okay now to just jump into the patron questions. Oh, go for I it. I ask people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here we go with some of the patron questions. Someone is curious about your, let's see here. This line from his original MySpace post. Did you have an original MySpace post? They probably mean the to write love on her arm story, but we'll okay. see. The center has no detox. Names her too great a risk and does not accept her. How is that possible to turn someone away? How do they do that? Oh, well, this particular treatment center no longer exists. And basically, Brene came in with drugs in her system and a self-inflicted wound from the night before. And because of that combination, they labeled her too high risk. And so their policy was that they were not able to offer detox. Uh, other places do, but for, and I think it, it gets into insurance. Uh, but this particular facility was small. And so that just that was, was their policy, that she wasn't ready to be admitted into their program. So I try to tell people that that is unusual. That's certainly not always the case. Hopefully it's not even often the case, but in the particular story that we experienced that time, that that's what happened. Contributor of ours, uh, who's actually been a longtime supporter. I wrote a piece on suicide and he has, we've been emailing each other ever since. Mm. Um, his son has mental health issues and, um, He's wondering your thoughts on the difficulty people face trying to get help for someone that they love that they're trying to get help for. But, you know, as he put it, you go to the arm, you go to the ER for a broken arm, but there's no alternative for a broken brain. And just what is your 
thoughts and um, advice to anybody who's kind of going through that at the yeah. moment in this very broken system. Yeah. No, and I feel like we we touched on it a little bit earlier, but I'm totally sympathetic to how hard it is for so many people, especially people that don't have a lot of money. Uh, it's part of why I think we're really excited about the find help tool that focuses on free and reduced rate services. Uh, and I think we're just aware that it's, as this person is pointing to, like it's so confusing and challenging and probably even heartbreaking for a lot of people. And I think we dream about a world where there is that ER equivalent, not just in places that provide help, but even within our insurance, that it wouldn't be this, that mental health wouldn't have an asterisk, you know, that like, dealing with your depression isn't different than dealing with your broken arm or, you know, whatever else can go wrong in our bodies. Yeah. I think, I think we love to remind people to think about like some people, I think let the finances just be this brick wall and they just decide it's not worth it. It's too expensive. It's too hard. And I think we, we love to kind of challenge people and encourage people, um, to do everything they can to try to find help that they can afford. Maybe it is checking with your insurance. Maybe it is learning about a free support group. Maybe it's finding a counselor that works on a sliding scale or finding grad students who are in the process of becoming licensed and they have to provide counseling at a discounted rate. So I think just trying to plant those seeds of believing that affordable help exists, but also doing everything we can like there are some organizations much bigger than to write love that have been around longer that even in washington are fighting that battle of just making it easier in terms of access and affordability uh so that so that anyone can someday get the help that they need or or so that someday anyone will be able to get help in a way that feels a lot easier Jackie wants to know, how can teachers be mental health allies and activists? Oh, that's a great question. I have so much respect for people who do those jobs. Uh, certainly they have this amazing window into the lives of young people. And I think two things that come to mind. I think one is learning, like educating, becoming educated on these issues. So learning about the problems and solutions that exist as it relates to mental health. And I think also just being willing to check in, like being willing to ask when, when you're concerned about a student being willing to, to go there and ask. And I realize it's challenging depending on the age, whether that's checking in with the student or also checking in with the parent. But I think just knowing they, you know, you spend all those hours every single week, like there, there's a level, there's a real relationship there. And, um, believing that they can make a difference. And you and obviously a lot of these kids go home to home lives that are really painful or really challenging. And so I think just believing that, man, a teacher can do so much good and have such an influence in letting that young person feel cared for and known. Uh, so we hear from a lot of teachers who want to be part of the solution, who e even if it's just... Uh, welcoming the conversation in whatever ways obviously it depends on the age again but um trying to make space for mental health being something that can be part of everyday conversation yeah i think talking about it is 
probably the best thing you can do because once you start talking about you become somebody that people are comfortable mm. talking about like oh yeah a lot of people will almost blurt out to me their mental health stuff yeah online yeah and i feel like that's just because they know it's cool like, yeah i've already mentioned it you they, went there first i went there yeah. first they know oh this guy can't possibly judge me totally speaking of judgment megan i feel personally attacked by <laughs> I guess. Um, she'd love to know about something she's seen again and again when people get mental health support and possibly medication they start to feel good enough that they think they're better and go off their meds or stop counseling sometimes that's the right choice oftentimes it's not it's just a trick playing on your mind what do you think about this issue uh, i think i think it's a hard one um i think if you're thinking about transitioning off like to do that with a a professional, you know, to not just make that decision on your own. And I think the same with, with therapy, the, the hope would be that you process my, my counselor at home. I feel like check kind of has, I, it's almost like the define the relationship talk kind of asks me how I think it's going and do I want to continue kind of like this state of the union, like pretty often. So I think, I mean, my thought would be I totally get that. I, I've gone off my meds at different points over the years and ended up getting back on. So I think I think just to process the counseling relationship and the the length and the end of that, and also to do the same in terms of getting on and off medication to process both of those with professionals makes a lot of sense to me. And I think also with maybe just with other, especially with professionals, but also with your support system. Yeah, I think that's the right answer. Uh, my psychiatrist wasn't thrilled about me wanting to go off, but he also just said, just, you know, okay, great. It almost it initiated this thing where they will send me a questionnaire more often to see how I'm doing. So I think keeping people in the loop. Yeah, for sure. As well. And also too, like if you if you do transition off, you need those people who know you, who, like you need to see your life through their eyes as well. Cause, cause, and, and that's true beyond medication, but just like, it's good to be known and seen by other people because we can get their take on things and like, they can see our blind spots and maybe we're really struggling and we don't even give ourselves permission to see it. But, but when you're in relationships with people, they can, can say, Hey man, you seem down or you seem quiet. Like, are you doing okay? And that comes through relationship. One of the things you're known for is helping people feel hopeful at the end of it. And I'm wondering, so when it comes to, like, you've expressed that you're really interested in building a romantic relationship, how do you stay hopeful that it will happen? I mean, it, yeah. are you dating? Are you online? Like, what? Yeah, I mean, no, I'm, on, I'm online and I think I'm always... And you don't get jaded? <laughs> no, I do. Oh, I had the thought today where I feel like it's... I feel like I've uh, even recently, I feel like I find people that are interested one day and it's hard for them to be interested or it's hard to find someone who's interested like two days in a row <laughs> or three days in a, like, and I don't know if it's this swiping instant things just come and go culture, you know? Um, so I think even in terms of hope, even beyond romantic relationships, like I, I have to look back and realize I've been surprised a bunch of times in my life where it felt like 
love showed up or a crush showed up or even every now and then a relationship showed up and I never could have known when that was going to happen. Like I, it, it was beyond me. Um, and I, I think that hopefully, or yeah, that hopefully gives me the hope or the belief that it can happen again. And I can't know when, I can't know if it's tomorrow or a month from now or five years from now, but like, I've been surprised by good things in my life, both romantically and otherwise, you know, career opportunities, friendships, uh, all these things that like I didn't entirely orchestrate. And and I think I want to, I talk a lot about surprises. Like I feel like I want to stay for the surprises and I want to stay for being surprised by a place I've never been and a friend I haven't met yet. And hopefully a romantic relationship as well. I have a couple more questions. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, one is I think that there's a lot of great artists and great causes that are struggling to get the word out. And what would be your, your biggest advice to people who are trying to let the world know that they're there, that they are whatever they are, a charity or a, fundraiser or uh just a artist like you were in sales yeah and you did a really great job getting the word out of to write love on her arms and what's your what would be your like um your tips and tricks yeah i think it sounds really simple but i i think kind of where i often start and sort of come back to is like we're we're all trying to move people. We're trying to make someone feel something. We're trying to make someone care. And, you know, when we started, there was no marketing budget. There was no advertising. It was just this two-page story posted as a blog on MySpace. All the ingredients were really simple. And really, people responded to the writing in the story first. So I think sometimes I come back to, like, simple things. You know, we even as an organization, I think we've tried to value language we've tried to value good writing and ultimately with the goal of moving people we've tried to really value design and i think like our parents or grandparents generation causes were never known for being great at design like charities you know charities didn't have cool names and cool merch and cool websites you know so i think it's been neat to see obviously we know great design exists in the world in the creative world in the business world but that it can exist in the doing good world as well. And I think I love to remind people that big things often start small. Obviously that was true in our case, but I feel like I meet a lot of people and even young people who kind of ask, how do I start something big? And I think it's like, I don't know that we have a ton of control over where things go. You know, it's like us recording this podcast is probably doesn't look that different than the most successful podcast or like the podcast that no one listens to, right? Like you just kind of do the work and do your best and put it out there and, and some things gain this momentum and this audience and other things don't. Um, so I think there's an element of like, I love that we just, I tried to tell one story, tried to sell a box of shirts, tried to help a friend and it makes it hopefully really relatable, you know? So I, and I think it's true of, of so many brands or organizations they have like a humble beginning and i think we can get so caught up in like the metrics or the audience or how do i get this big or how do i win awards 
and I think I love to tell people like, man, just focus on the small thing and do it well and be creative and try to move people. And, and maybe we don't have a ton of control beyond that, you know, but I, I, creativity is probably an elusive, maybe vague or broad word, but you know, I think there's such a, there's so much value. Like our name, our name is unusual. We talked about this yesterday to write love in our arms is an odd name for a nonprofit. It, it's so it doesn't give away, you know? So there's sort of this, um, there's a kind of this creative aspect and that's beyond me. That wasn't like a strategic thing. That's just the name of the story. Uh, but I think to know that like, it's a, there's room and even a need for things that are different, you know, for things that are clever and cool and bold and fresh. And, uh, so I think, I think also like encouraging people to take risks and, and to try. Yeah. I like to end the program this way, which is if I was to put a phone in front of you and you could pick it up and there's two alternatives, you can speak to young Jamie and give him a message um, of hope or just what you think is most important for him going forward or just um, another fellow traveler who's kind of banged up by life a little bit or who also feels too much and um, just kind of needs some words for the next little chapter? Oh, man. That's a great question. You ask everyone that? For the most part. I kind of tweak it yeah, yeah. in different ways, yeah. Uh Man, that's a that's so good. You can uh, just speak like they're on the other line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I conference them together? <laughs> you can't do the three-way call. Um, I I think I'll go with the the traveler only because I feel like I I still feel so connected to the young version of me. Like I feel I still feel like there's so much of him in me, and there's actually a lot of ways that my life hasn't changed and and so i feel like we're good we talk a good amount <laughs> so i'm gonna talk to the other one uh and obviously it's it's probably a lot of the same things but um we've covered so much in this conversation so i feel like if they were listening i'm not even sure how much i would want to they add weren't, they weren't listening okay they weren't no listening. they just picked up the okay phone. they just got in okay <laughs> they've been traveling uh I would want them to know that they are not alone. I would want them to know that they matter, that their life has value, uh, that their story matters, even the parts of it they hate, the parts they wish they could change, the parts they wish were different, and the good parts too, like the favorite people, favorite places, favorite music. Um, would want to tell them that life is worth living and that they were made to be loved and known and to be in relationships where that can be reciprocated and exchanged, uh, that they deserve a support system, they deserve a community, they deserve friends, they deserve love. And and then I, you know, we talked about it, you and I, they weren't listening, but but I hope they will stay to be surprised. I hope they will, or to use the travel metaphor, keep going, keep continue on this journey and i hope that they will be surprised by by love by beauty by friendships uh by things that they just couldn't have seen coming uh but things that make the journey worth taking and make life worth living so that would be my hope for this 
banged up traveler and also to know that it's okay to rest like it's okay to take a break from the journey it's okay to you know to nurse an injury or to take some time to heal and uh to know that you don't have to go alone you don't have to figure that out alone you don't have to heal on your own and so it's okay to be honest and it's okay to ask for help and i would be grateful to get to share those things thanks for your time man thank you Hey, so that's the end of this conversation. But if you don't want the conversation to end, you can follow us on social media on almost every platform. We're at hellohumans.co, except for Twitter, which has an underscore CO. Our website is hellohumans.co. We have great stories, videos, and the episodes live there as well. And for more of our guests, for more of any of our guests, I always post their social media, their books, their videos, their art in the show notes, which is another word for the podcast episode description, and it's available wherever you're listening. I promise you just have to click around. If you'd like to help us out more, there's a few ways you can help. Please share this podcast with your friends or people that you think would get value out of it. Writing us a review on iTunes is incredibly helpful for our ratings. And also, of course, this program is not possible without listener community contribution so our patrons are our financial backbone of this product that's how we manage to do this ad free you can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash how to human that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash how to human this is the how to human podcast a production of hellohumans.co until next time have a great day